So here's the question. How can e-commerce leaders make sure that they are producing a great product, providing a world-class customer experience, responsibly managing their finances, and still reserve time, energy, and resources for marketing their products? My name is James Sowers, and you're listening to the E-Commerce Insights Show, the podcast that gives you specific, actionable advice for growing your e-commerce business. Every Monday, you'll get a conversion rate optimization tactic that you can implement quickly to make your business 1% better every single week. Every Thursday, we sit down with industry experts to go deep on a specific aspect of running a successful e-commerce business. It's the perfect blend of learning and application, which means that you maximize the value of every single minute you spend with us. We're just as committed to growing your business as you are. So if you're looking for a partner to help you crush your revenue goals, you've come to the right place. Roll up your sleeves and grab a notepad because it's time to get to work. Welcome to the e-commerce insight show, Kelly. So glad to have you here to talk about a bunch of different subjects. We're going to talk design development, probably conversion rate optimization, future of e-commerce. It's going to be a great episode. Before we get into the meat and potatoes of the conversation, quick couple of sentences about who you are, what you do, and maybe a project that has you excited right now. Yeah. So first off, thanks for having me on here. Really excited to be here. I am the CEO and founder of The Tap Room, our Shopify Plus agency based out of Atlanta. That's where I am. Our team is remotely distributed, though. And we spend most of our time working with merchants who are high growth, you know, between 2 and $20 million in annual revenue on custom development solutions. So they're looking for something a little more out of the box. So we're doing the, the fun API work, the unique subscription integrations, the headless builds, all those kinds of fun projects. And product I'm excited about right now. So we recently launched a headless store called Prep Deck and they had their, their prime day sale. So they launched on a Thursday and then prime day started Tuesday. And I watched, it's a little skewed because of the, there was a sale, but I watched the conversion rate go up. I think it was like 140%. And that is a beautiful, beautiful number to see. Yeah. I mean, that's a bold move to launch a new headless website on Thursday, have a big push on Tuesday, but that's why you work with somebody like Kelly, right? Like the, there's a reliability there that gives you the confidence to pull the trigger in a timeline exactly. like that. So that's awesome. So you guys work primarily, you said two to 20 million. I think I suspect that our audience is on the earlier side of things. So they're trying to make that first million to go from one to two or something. So we might get into a little bit more of the off the shelf solutions, if you don't mind, like the tech stack that somebody can get started with. And then when they get to the point where they can come to someone like you, someone like the Taproom Agency, then we could talk about what a custom build looks like and what that experience looks like if you're all right with that. But before we get into the technicalities, I'm just curious, this is kind of my fun icebreaker question. If I gave you a magic wand today and I said you can eliminate one thing from e-commerce marketing or just e-commerce operations in general and you never have to encounter it again, whether that's like a client complaint or a tech issue or whatever, what do you wave your wand and get rid of in the next 60 seconds? Spin the wheel pop-ups. Oh, hate them. Don't even have to think about that one. Can I like add to it though? Like, can I get the full spin the wheel prop up experience that also includes like the sarcastic, no, I don't like saving money. No, I'm not feeling lucky today. Like that has to go. Please, that has to go. Stop it. It's a dark pattern. What is your retort to the folks that say, well, I have it up there because it works. Like I put, I added spin the wheel and my, my conversions on the email opt-in or the discount claim or sales, whatever it went up. So what's, what's your response to somebody that says that? Yeah, so absolutely. They do work and I hate that they work, but the thing is you're attracting low value customers. They're there for a discount. They're not there to create long-term relationships with you. They're just looking for the next deal. So you might get a sale out of them. And that's great because money is great. I get it. But you're looking for that return customer. You're looking for that retention. And those spin the wheel pop-ups don't do anything for you. 
Right. So it's all about customer lifetime value. It's like, do you want the quick hit now for 30 bucks or do you want a lifetime brand advocate for 120 bucks? Right. It's, it's kind of making sacrifices on each stage. It's weird. I was going to say 120 as well. So that worked out pretty, pretty great. <laughs> I don't know. It's like we work in the business or something. We have some ballpark numbers, some benchmarks <laughs> to, to base these off of. Cool. So, so one more question for you. That's more of a general question. So let's say that our listeners are in kind of that early stage, maybe even like just kicking things off and they're trying to get from zero to their first million. What are some things that you've seen your clients do or other owners that you don't necessarily work directly with, but have like in your social circle, what are they doing to grow their audience in those earlier days that isn't just default to throw money to Facebook, right? Like what other kind of more creative approaches can they take to getting that initial traction so that they can grow to a point where they can hire somebody like you to do a custom build or whatever they need? Yeah. So the biggest thing you can do is work on your brand story and build an authentic community. I see so many people are looking just like, how do I get people to my site? And you can, you know, again, you can just spend some money on ads and get people to the site, but if they're not buying, then what's the point? And usually it's that disconnect there that they're, you're not creating that trust with this new customer that they say, oh, this is who they are. This is why I should buy from them. So I'm going to go ahead and make my first purchase and see how things go. You really need to focus on building that trust upfront and communicate with your customers as much as possible in a very authentic way to start building that brand authority and start getting those customers in. And that'll really help you push from zero to 1 million. Is there a brand that comes to mind for you as somebody who's really doing that well right now? Like I hear outdoor voices thrown out a lot in terms of community. Is there anybody that maybe I know you do some teardowns? Have you done a teardown recently? You're like, wow, they have a really great community thread or some kind of like shared mission or shared language that they're using to leverage and build that personal relationship with customers. I'm a big fan of a number of direct-to-consumer brands, so that's usually what comes to mind first. I think Alipop is a really great example. One, they have just a very unique brand identity, and it's it's a fun a fun website to visit. Brightland is another good example. So they sell uh, like vinegars and olive oils. We do have a, a teardown of their store, which is a, a good one to, to look at because they they're working on really building that community, that identity. Kinfield is another great example as well. They're all about the outdoors and, but like using natural ingredients, if you're going to be using like sunscreen or, or bug repellent or things like that. I think those are really good examples of, of stores that are really focusing on building that, that identity, that community, that meaning behind the brand while also of course selling their products. Awesome. I'm a huge fan of just going to subscribe just to kind of watch and look over their shoulder and see what strategies they're using, how they structure their landing pages, what their copywriting's like, and then take that and use it as inspiration for what you're doing. So thank you so much for sharing those. Listen, you said you guys do a lot of custom builds at the Taproom Agency, which leads me to believe you've got like a design and a development background that is specifically catered to the Shopify ecosystem, I'm guessing. So Maybe tell me the quick version of like how you got into that. Did you start out with a computer science degree or is that something that you acquired over time? And then why you guys are kind of positioned in a strong way to provide value to Shopify merchants and getting them that custom solution they need. Yeah. So to tell my story, we're going to have to back up about two thirds of my life ago. I started learning how to code when I was 11. And that's when I started getting the whole design and development experience. There's a website called Neopets where you can have your own virtual pet and you can create your own community to customize the community. You have to know how to code. So that was the start of my development career. I signed on my first freelance client when I was 14 years old and it was for 
it was for a hunting supply store, which could technically be like very close to like an e-commerce store. It just did not have the transactional component to it, but you can like shop and look at the different products and things like that. You would just have to call to actually purchase. So kind of funny that 14 years old, I just turned 30 last week. So 16 years later, I'm still focusing on e-commerce, but here we are. Over time, I realized that I'm not a good designer, but I'm a really great developer. And so I continued to hone my development skills over time, but I didn't want to actually go into development full-time because I thought I'd grow to hate it. And so I went to college for something completely different. I have my bachelor's in psychology and I have two master's degrees in public health and clinical social work. And my first job out of grad school was working for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And the, it was a fellowship and they needed somebody who had their master's in public health who also knew how to code. This is not going to come as any kind of surprise, but I was the only applicant. Very unique <laughs> set of skills there. I was still freelancing while I was at CDC. So that was 2015. We're kind of jumping forward a little bit here. In 2014, I discovered Shopify and I went all in probably two months later, because I just, I loved building the online store experience as opposed to like WordPress brochure kind of websites. I just loved everything about Shopify theme development. In 2014, I became a Shopify partner, Shopify expert. And in 2015, I lasted nine months at CDC before I jumped ship and my husband and I got married and I can get on his health insurance, important things. And I went all in on freelancing. And so I went from freelancing in September of 2015, going full-time freelancing to October, 2017, started the tap room. And last month we just celebrated three years of the tap room. So long, long journey to get to where we are today. But I think the fact that I have a background in development has really helped shape who we are at the tap room. And, and the fact that while we are a pseudo full service agency, we don't offer paid search or paid social, but do pretty much everything else. It's really helped figure out who we want to work with as far as our client load goes, our, our client base, because we enjoy doing the custom work, the challenges that come with a custom development service. And while we are a 12 person team, six of us are developers. So they're really like the core of the team there. And you said you're a distributed team. So like, what, how does that shake out in terms of footprint? Like where are people located and, and that kind of thing? Yeah, so we have four people, one, two, three, four, I believe in the Metro Atlanta area. And then everyone else is spread throughout the U.S. with one person in Scotland as well. Yeah, I'm sure it doesn't hurt that you have that psychology background, too. And even the social work aspect, like there are elements of that that I think are transferable, especially if you're getting into consumer psychology and the e-commerce side of things. I also have a healthcare background. I uh, did public administration. I have a master's in public health. And then I got my MBA. Like, yeah, there's a lot of healthcare overlap with e-commerce. I'm finding more and more as I talk oh, to yeah. folks. And I'd have to sit on a couch and have somebody tell me what the meaning behind that is. But it is weird that I keep seeing these concentric circles between healthcare and e-commerce and Maybe it's just that selfless service to others kind of thing and, and wanting to help others be better. I don't know. But yeah, so in terms of the the development side of things, you started with this Neopets stuff. I'm trying to figure out what time of the world that would have been because I started with like MySpace customizations and then later on GeoCities. I think I've got that order right, but I might have to flip those. So that's like where I learned HTML and CSS because I saw other people with cool profiles or cool websites. I'm like, I got to figure out how this is done still to this day, like I can modify HTML, I can modify CSS, I can like read it, but I can't, if you give me a blank page, I can't really create much of anything for you. So it's funny how kids are just so interested in something like that. And then 10 years later, 15 years later, you're doing it professionally and making a good living from it as far as I can tell. And so it's a really interesting story that you have there. If you had to quantify or somehow describe the value of 
like development in terms of custom design versus off the shelf themes? Where do you draw that line between like, you could probably get away with an off the shelf theme until what happens? And then what's the value of going with someone like the tap room to get a custom solution made for you? Yeah, so we actually have a lot of clients who do use themes from the theme store. And it's something I stress to, to clients as we're like when we're going through the lead process is a lot of merchants don't need a custom theme. They're beautiful. They're fun to build as, as a developer, but they're not needed. And I'd rather you put your money and resources elsewhere and let us start with one of the themes from the theme store and customize from there. Usually it makes sense to go full custom. One, if you have a very unique brand identity and you want to have that full custom experience, or two, you just have a really unique user flow that kind of circumvents the standard Shopify workflow. And even then we have, we've had clients in the past who started with the theme from the theme store and we completely redid their entire shopping flow, but it's the base theme is still a theme from the theme store. I mean, the important thing to remember is that these themes are a starting point. They're a template to allow us to save time. So we don't have to build everything from scratch. We can just make changes to what we need to actually do. Again, I'm all for efficiency and speeding things up. And I'd rather see you put your money elsewhere instead of just putting it right into building a custom theme. That makes sense. So there's an important distinction between custom theme and theme customizations. Like in those words sound very similar, but they mean two very different things. So I'm curious, when you come in to help out a client, I'm sure this is all across the board, but if you're going to do a theme customization, what does that process look like? Like, do you sit down with them and do an audit of their current website and say, here are the opportunities? And then which one of these do we want to prioritize? Like, what kind of things are you looking at? I imagine it's stuff like site speed and conversion rate optimization and things like that. So what is your kind of like, in a nutshell, your diagnostic process? And then how do you translate that into kind of like a project based experience for the client? Yeah. So you mentioned social work might come in handy. Here's where it comes in handy. So I'm really focused on the future here. What are your, well, what are your current pain points and how do you envision your business to look, you know, a year from now or at the end of this project, even like, what is that gap that currently exists? And I make a point to, I, it's not, the answer is not, I want to make more money. We do have to do a little bit of a deeper dive to see what your actual pain points are. What are you, what are your aspirations? Every lead conversation kind of turns into a little therapy conversation, but you know, it, it happened therapy session. So we're really focused on, on first off, what are your goals? What are your pain points? And then we go into a deeper dive of your current site. Where are the actual holes that exist technically? So we're looking again, as you said, like your site speed, we're looking at like the lighthouse tests, which lighthouse is a, a Google service that lets you see your page performance, your SEO accessibility. And they just have like a best practices section on there that doesn't really make sense. But we're looking at that to see how your theme is already set up. We can use Shopify's theme tool to analyze how your store is building the actual liquid side of things and see how performance is impacting there. And then we decide on a plan of action from there. So we're going in with a lot of data, a lot of, a lot of background information before we jump into offering a solution, because I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that people make is they think they know what the problem is. So they offer a solution without actually doing enough research in the back end. So once we have a general idea of what happens there, then we have a designer in, we have two developers on every project who are actually going through and doing the design process, the development process, the feedback back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until we have that final solution. So I think like most people, when they come to you, they're probably thinking more in lines of a website refacing than a redesign, right? Like a redesign, I would say has more of a business case behind it. It's like, we expect through design and development to pull this lever and improve some kind of KPI by a certain amount, right? So 
Is there maybe a taproom case study that comes to mind where you can walk us through the story of like before, you know, client A was experiencing this after they worked with us, the world was different and better in these ways, right? Like maybe to just make it super tangible for people listening, like if they're sitting in those shoes, they're like, oh, I have those same problems, right? And I want those same results. So an agency like the taproom is kind of the bridge between those two, like today and tomorrow. So I think a really good example is kind of going back to those custom themes. We inherit projects because we're not usually working with brands who are starting from ground zero, unless they're like migrating from a different platform. We're starting with brands who are already established on Shopify, who are looking to make improvements to their existing business to, to take, to get to that next level of growth. So we're looking at things that other people built all the time. And you can quickly learn who is a good developer and who is a not so great developer. And so one of our clients, and we do have a case study of this on our portfolio, is Thigh Society. And we inherited this project. The theme is a custom theme that was built by a different agency or freelancer who doesn't really specialize in Shopify development. And so there are some very strange configurations that we noticed in the back end. But most importantly, the site was so slow. And it was so large in terms of file size. So, you know, their, their compiled CSS file was in the like nearing one gigabyte, which is way too big. And so we had to end up like, we rebuilt the entire theme from the ground up. Same exact design, just built with performance in mind and accessibility in mind and SEO in mind. And her conversion rate doubled. What's even better is on desktop, she has a two digit conversion rate, which is not something you see very often. And I think the page speed tool that Shopify recently layered into the admin panel is getting a lot of heat and probably rightfully so because it gives you this metric and it's like you scored 36 out of 100. It's a terrible score or whatever. But there's really like, through my understanding, there's no way to get it up to 100. Just the way that the score is being measured. It's an imperfect tool, right? But the fact of the matter is like page speed does matter because if somebody is physically on their mobile device on a 3G connection because they're in a somewhat remote part of the world, like they can't purchase from you or it's going to be so frustrating that they're going to bounce. And so that's an important thing to consider is like, maybe don't pay so much attention to the score on your Shopify admin dashboard, but do test on multiple devices in multiple situations and listen to your customers and like, or watch some session recordings on Hotjar or something like that. And if people are dropping off and it's a long session, maybe you do have a, a page speed problem and a rewrite like what you did in a cleanup can make a big impact, not just on the performance of the website, but the sales performance of the website. So it's important to note that there are two speed scores you're looking at. And what you see on the Shopify speed test on Lighthouse is a technical speed score. They're, they're just giving you a number. The other one that's really important that we don't actually talk about is perceived speed. How fast does your site feel? And that's what the customers are really looking at. They don't really care, oh, well, this, this page took six seconds to load. They're going to see, oh, this site loads quickly. Oh, I'm, I'm too impatient. I'm not going to wait for this site to load, so I'm going to bounce. So you're really looking to optimize your site for perceived speed, as well as, you know, there are some technical things, again, like loading proper file sizes and for your images and things like that. But you're really looking at that perceived speed. And that's where you get into things like lazy loading. So you're not loading all your images up front, you're deferring scripts from loading at the forefront. So it looks like the site's already loaded. And as people are scrolling down, it's loading the additional images as you scroll instead of loading everything up front. It's all about perceived speed. 
Yeah. And if that kind of terminology makes your, your eyes roll back and you're getting glazed over, that's why we have Kelly on the show, right? Like you just go hire <laughs> Kelly and Kelly does it for you because it gets super technical at some point. And the other thing to consider, I guess, is like, you're probably working on your site. Maybe you live in Chicago or Los Angeles and you have gigabit or fiber connection for your internet. And like, yeah, it's fast to you, but your customers aren't all in that situation. They're in New York City in a high rise with a shared Wi-Fi connection between six people. And like, the, you don't want them to not buy because they can't make it work. So listen, that's, that's one aspect that could be like a conversion killer. I know that you and one of your good friends run like a little side hustle, a little side project called Commerce T where you do teardowns of websites and talk about some of these other conversion killing mistakes. Are there two or three that jump out at you as like stuff you're just kind of sick of seeing and you want people to start getting right out of the gates instead of having to have it discovered through something like an audit or a teardown or however you characterize those things? Yeah. So one of the things that you definitely don't want to have discovered is through a lawsuit and that's accessibility. This is one of the things that I see so many merchants get wrong. And you might think like, well, okay, well, I can still get sales even if I'm not adding alt text to my images, but you're losing a whole subset of customers by not making your site accessible. First and foremost, that is a conversion rate killer. Please add alt text to your images. That basically just what, what that means is you're describing the image for somebody who's using a screen reader. So they might not actually see, they don't see the image or they're listening to what the image actually is. So that's number one. Number two is accessibility of content. So this is more how difficult is it to find what I need to find on the website? This goes for how much is shipping going to cost? Can I return this item? What are the ingredients for this? What is it made of? How do I care for this item? These are the types of things that should be on your product page. And it shouldn't just be hidden inside like an FAQ section or like a link at the bottom of your website. Put this information front and center. Don't make your customers just hunt for it because you don't want to wait until they're all, all the way into checkout. And they're like, oh, I don't want to pay $7 for shipping. I literally abandoned an order today. It was for a $5 yard sign and shipping was going to be $7. And I'm like, I'm not paying $7 for shipping for a $5 item. So I abandoned my cart. I'm not going to buy it. So that's one example. And the third thing is don't create any dead ends on your website. So this means that every single page on your website should have some kind of button, some kind of call to action to keep on shopping. This includes your about us page, your FAQs page, even your policies pages. It does not hurt to add a button on there. Your 404 page, your, your not found page, make sure you can continue shopping from there. Your cart, often just continue shopping, easy button, add some additional recommended items that they might want to purchase. Just keep the flow going. Don't let people hit a dead end on your website and then not know where to go from there. Don't make them do the work to continue shopping. I love that last one because that's not super intuitive, right? You're like the about page. Nobody wants to shop from the about page. They want to learn about me and my team and my mission and that kind of stuff. But that's not necessarily true. And from a conversion perspective, the last thing you want to do is, like you said, lead somebody down to a dead end because they're probably not going to go back to the previous page. They're probably not going to click something in the main navigation to keep exploring. They're just going to leave, right? So giving that contextual ability to hop over and shop is super savvy. So I'm curious in terms of you say make the elements accessible, right? Like, and to me, that screams navigation. Now, as a rule of thumb, do you recommend fewer navigation items, but more levels in terms of how deep somebody can go, right? Like, so maybe in the main nav, I have five items on each of those pages, I have a handful of more, but like, if you have a big product catalog, some folks will have a mega menu with 30 items listed that are categorized kind of like in columns. 
And some people will stick to five, but then on the subsequent pages where you can kind of click down deeper into the dozen different types of pants that we have, or the dozen different types of socks or whatever, like how does somebody make that decision? Cause I know there's probably no one size fits all recommendation, but which kind of product catalogs or industries or product types are better for a mega menu and which ones are better for more of a focus, but you can click down deeper into multiple layers. It's definitely a something that's worth A-B testing on your site to see how your customers respond to it. I'm personally a fan of mega menus. An example of one of our client sites I don't think is actually on our portfolio, I'll get it on there eventually, is a site called Motherly. So it's shop.mother.ly. And we have two tiers of menus on there. It used to be one shop menu when this is another project we inherited, by the way. Originally, they had one shop menu that was full page, full page of links. Wow. You like couldn't scroll down to see all the links. It was excessive. And so we revamped the menu to have one bar that contains about seven different links. And then below that, you have a submenu that are categorized with column headings. So example, if I'm hovering over one of the main menu items being baby, I see five columns of links, which are apparel, toys and books, bath and beauty, nursery and brands. And so I can dig deeper down there. But each of those headings, like baby for mama, kids, all of those, they link to their own landing page as well. That lets you have a different way of shopping for those particular items too. So again, people are going to shop in different ways. So by offering these options, like a custom landing page for your collections that lets you shop into like deeper into the sub collections, you can highlight certain items, you can highlight certain sub collections, you can do a lot with it just based on whatever you need at the time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm always curious about because people have different approaches. Some people hate mega menus, some people love mega menus, some people want different navigation on desktop versus mobile. And so it's all over the board. I was just curious about your personal perspective. If we were to pivot a little bit and give somebody so I said most of our listeners are probably in the earlier stage, not quite ready for a custom build yet or some customizations. But if we think about, you know, we're, we're coming up on the turn of the year, some folks might be saying, hey, I'm finally going to get this cleaned up. Like I'm on this free theme. It's miserable. I have a little bit of sales. I can invest some money or I could do a little bit more on the marketing front. Like what is your go-to tech stack for most e-commerce sites, right? Like as a, as a general rule of thumb, if you have these five tools or these five elements checked off, you're going to be in a pretty good position. One of those ideally would specifically be theme recommendations, because I know if somebody can't have a customization or they can't build a custom theme, they want to have a very strong personal recommendation for the off-the-shelf theme that maybe it's a combination of flexibility, price, you know, capabilities, whatever, but like where do you go to from the theme and then branching out from there, what other kind of must have tech stack items do is are on your list? So starting with themes, I always recommend you buy either from, from the theme store or from a reputable source, like out of the sandbox, don't buy your theme from themes like theme forest or any like third party marketplace like that. Reason being you have no idea what the support's going to be like if something goes wrong. I can vouch for the support of Out of the Sandbox that they actually do get back to you. And of course, all the themes in the theme store are vetted to make sure they are supported, some by Shopify even. So first and foremost, that's where I usually start. So any of the Out of the Sandbox themes, and I really like Impulse, which is available from the theme store as well. In terms of other items on the tech stack, a product reviews app. Do not forget your product reviews app. I know I see some pushback like, well, I'm just starting out. So nobody's going, I'm, everything's going to show as zero reviews. Like you have to start somewhere. Everyone starts somewhere. So start collecting those reviews now. Also, don't be afraid of publishing negative reviews. If everyone's go on your website and they see that you have 36 reviews for this project and every single one of them is five stars. To me, I'm like, well, what are you hiding? 
Like, are you intentionally avoiding the negative reviews? And you can respond to the negative reviews as well, just to acknowledge like wrongdoing or that it was an error or whatever it might be to kind of clear the air there. I don't publish the negative reviews on my store that are like completely unrelated because some people just leave negative reviews for the sake of it, just having a bad day or whatever, or whatever it might be. A reviews app, have one. I like judge.me, I like Okendo, I like Junip, and I like the Shopify product reviews app if you do just need a basic app for reviews. I also really encourage you to have a back in stock feature. So allow your customers to sign up for restock notifications if something goes out of stock. We just published an episode today for Commerce Tea that's talking about some of these things. That's kind of funny that I'm bringing it all back up right now. But all of my favorite Shopify apps are very clearly named in the app store. So my favorite back in stock app is called back in stock. Good place to start. If you're using Klaviyo for your email, Klaviyo has their own back in stock functionality that you can use as well. So I'd usually choose one of those two, which leads me to my next part of the stack, tech stack, which is your email service provider. Who are you using for your email? I am personally 100% all in on Klaviyo. I think it is the most powerful email provider that you can be using with their flows and segments and the, the data science behind all of their analytics. I love it. I think it's definitely worth what you're paying for there. They also offer SMS as well. If you wanted to offer SMS, if, you're, if your customer base is the type to actually respond to SMS marketing, it is extra money. So don't do it if it's not going to be used, of course. Other things that I would include, customer support. This includes using a customer support app for like offering live chat, for example. You can use any of the live chat apps in the app store. I'm not picky. I'm a really big fan of Gorgeous, G-O-R-G-I-A-S. Gorgeous is really great for like an all-in-one solution for having your customer support team respond to everything all, all in one system. And they have like smart data to pull in the customer's information and past orders and everything. They also offer live chat through that. So you can just use it again, all under one roof. But any of the live chat apps are really great for that. Also offer some kind of return solution. So make it easy for your customers to start the returns process if they need to. And lastly, this doesn't isn't like an app or anything, but please have an FAQs page on your website. It is an absolute necessity. If you're getting questions from your customers, you know what they're asking. So answer those questions. And then you just have like the, the standard ones. When am I going to receive my order? What happens if my order comes damaged? I need to make a change to my order. Just answer the basic questions there. Really important to know your FAQs page should be written in a way that makes it so your customers are the ones who are asking the question. So what if my order arrives damaged or not like, what if your order arrives damaged, if that makes sense? So like from their perspective, I guess, is like put yourself in your customer's shoes. What questions do they have? I was trying to say the word perspective. It was <laughs> not coming out. <laughs> gotcha. Awesome. So, I mean, that was that was basically the best answer I could have uh, hoped for from you. We'll probably have to make that to like some kind of downloadable PDF. So check the show <laughs> notes. Maybe it'll be in there and it'll just be like category, theme, go with these, you know, and, yes. and we'll list it out there. That'll be your kind of checklist to get yourself, get your proverbial house in order, I would say. My experience with themes, this goes for the WordPress side of the house, if you're building a blog, but also Shopify themes is like, you kind of get what you pay for in a lot of regards. And so some of these will have a $200 price point, like don't necessarily let that shy away. I mean, if you're doing business anyway, that's probably a drop in the bucket. But if you're just getting started, like your theme is one of the most important parts of your tech stack. And it's an important investment to make. Consider it the same, the cost of doing business, the same that you would pay for your, your Shopify plan. It is a one-time cost by that theme. So if somebody's a little bit farther along and they've got a lot of those boxes checked and they're to the point now where they're like, hey, I do have some stuff that I want to do that an off-the-shelf app can't necessarily help me do. What should they be thinking about in terms of 
budget, timeline? How do they evaluate a good provider of custom development services, whether that be Taproom or anybody else that they decide to go with? But like, how can they make a smart purchasing decision for something like that and be a good client throughout that experience? Because I know you probably had your share of headaches. Every freelancer or agency <laughs> owner has. So how do we help people not be the headache, right? Like, what do they need to expect in terms of budget, timeline, and then vetting the provider? First off, don't go in expecting to have all the answers. You don't have to. That is the job of the agency to help you figure out, or freelancer, to help you figure out what it is that you actually need, what the solution is going to be. I find too often merchants will come to us saying, I need X, Y, and Z. And when I say Y, we have to back up and be like, okay, well, actually you need A, B, and C. So first off, Trust the process. We tend to know what we're what we're doing while we're here. Do your research in multiple providers. It's it's worth your time to speak with multiple agencies and freelancers. Get a few quotes. Just I mean, like the same thing. Like you're buying a house, you're going to talk to multiple mortgage mortgage companies before you decide who you're actually going to go with. It's the same kind of thing for any kind of service provider. Don't be afraid to ask for references. Some some agencies and freelancers kind of shy away from asking for references. If you're an agency, you're a freelancer, you're listening to this. Ask your clients that you have good relationships to be open to offering a reference for you. So you have them ready to go. So I always have my list of like three past clients or present clients that we're currently working with them who are more than happy to leave us a good review. Have that ready to go. Super helpful. ASAP is not a time frame. I will always push back on ASAP. I get that you want things now, but if you wanted things now, you should have come to us two, three months ago, whatever it happens to be. I get that ideas come up and in, in with certain certain size companies, it's usually like, wait, 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 wait. Okay, let's go. So I get it, but we're going to have to come up with an actual deadline and please trust the team that you're working with that if they say something's going to take that long, that it's actually going to take that long or longer. Right. We all underestimate how long things take. It's the nature of service business. So you run into issues and you want to make sure that people are actually doing good work. Also, ask how, ask how they test their code. Ask to make sure that they actually are testing their code. I've, I've found more and more agencies don't have any kind of testing in place for their code. They just kind of like run through the site and hope it works. Some don't even do that. I mean, we've run into the same issue in our, in our end before. I'm not going to lie. We all, we all make mistakes. We pushed a change live that ended up breaking the add to cart button in a certain place that wouldn't let people actually process checkout. So their conversion rate dropped to zero. Don't recommend doing that. Not a, not a great experience, but issues happen. Right. And I think the last thing is how do you make sure that you're backing up your code? Like, do you do any kind of conversion control or anything like that? If things were to happen, what does that process look like for remedying the issue? So that's a little, little checklist to go through. Yep. There's the uh, the second PDF. Check the show notes. We've got it all in there. Kelly's <laughs> just giving us everything we need. I'm a walking talking checklist. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting you bring up the bug with the add to cart button because I actually got stuck in kind of the reverse scenario. So I was in a variant. They were very clearly A-B testing some kind of design decision because in the URL it said like variant and it had a string after it. And when I clicked the add to cart button, nothing happened. No animation, no page refresh, no notification bubble in the cart icon, nothing. When I opened the cart, it said it was empty. And I was like, okay, this is broken. So I hit refresh to try again. And I had 19 items in my cart because I had been mashing the add to cart button with no results. And so that's like, that's the ultimate growth hack, right? Like I, if somebody wasn't paying attention, they check out and their cart value is like $600 because they've got <laughs> 19, whatever, like uh, face bombs in there. So yeah, you should have tried that. That would have helped your client out. They could have gotten some, some undeserved sales. 
keep that one in your back pocket. Those are the kinds of things like as a developer, I love when I'm trying to submit a form on a website and it fails. So I just like pull up the code and fix the error so I can submit the form. <laughs> totally normal things people do. Right. Yeah. That's what everybody does, right? <laughs> cool. So while we're still on this kind of trend of tech stack and working with custom development agencies, I think there is there's an emerging trend around headless in the e-commerce space. And I know you've had a little bit of, I don't mean to belittle it. You've had experience with that. I don't know how much exactly, but I know you've built at least one site with that. So as a novice, as a dunce who has no idea what headless even means, can you give me like the explain it like I'm five version and then maybe talk about your experience with your first client project or the first one that I'm aware of and where you see it going in terms of the future of e-commerce? So what headless means is that your site is not under one full roof, like not everything is happening in the same place. It's decoupling the front end from the back end. So you can use different systems depending on your needs. So what we often see is we're using Shopify as our back end for the products, for the transactions, everything like that. But we want more control over how the front end looks. So you're usually using three things. You're using Shopify. You're using a content management system that's not Shopify. And you're using some kind of tool to push everything together oops, so you can actually display the image or this, display the content, the shopping experience on the front end on a completely separate hosted front end that's not Shopify. So that's really what we're working with here. I get that headless is like a super, super buzzword, but the, the most important thing to note is that you can use whichever systems you need to use to create a unique storefront experience, shopping experience for whatever your business needs. Usually the prime reason that people go headless is for speed. For performance because you're no longer limited to the framework that Shopify provides with the themes. I can get into the super technical side of it, but basically what happens is it's called a progressive web app where all the data, when you load a website, all the data is loaded upfront and it's cached. So it doesn't have to reload every single time you visit a page. So, you know, when you're going on a standard Shopify store, you're going from like the home page to the collections page, it has to reload the logo at the top, all the links, all the text for that, all the footer content, like everything on the page, you go to the next one, same thing. So on a progressive web app, what's happening is you load the home page and it's like, oh, I'm just going to grab all the information for the website and I'm going to cache it and it's going to be great. So you go from the home page to the collection page and suddenly all you're seeing is a sudden flash of change of information. It's not having to like actually reload the page. I would say if you want an example of a progressive web app, one of the ones that we most recently launched is called PrepDeck. PrepDeck.com, you can go through the shopping experience. I think a really great example of this is when you're already on the cart, well, go through the shop flow by like add the PrepDeck to your cart and then start adding some of those bonus things, the, the add-ons to the cart and watch the price change. It's instant. There's no load time in between. And then once you hit checkout, it just takes you right to Shopify's checkout. So it's the standard checkout flow that you're already used to. So that's generally the, the experience that you get with Headless. The really big boost there that you get is performance and site speed, which really does help with conversions. Yeah, I think that it sounds like the excitement behind that. Like I've worked for a company in the past that was an alcohol subscription service, like a whiskey of the month type of thing. And that's because fun. of the nature, oh yeah, it was fun. <laughs> and because of the nature of the product, some of the off-the-shelf e-commerce platforms wouldn't allow them to make transactions 
through their platform. And so we were on a custom, I think it was Ruby on Rails app. And so we had a database management system and a checkout system and all this stuff. And like things were constantly breaking, right? Like you change some code <laughs> here and then something over here breaks. And that that's like the drawback of that. But then also if you're working with a full Shopify ecosystem or Magento or WooCommerce or whatever, and you're working with off the shelf themes, like they have limitations to their setup as well in terms of flexibility and customization and site performance. So this feels like a bridge between the two where it's like you can have the flexibility of the custom app on the front end. And then you also have the stability and predictability and reliability of the back end database management system. So this is kind of like two worlds coming together. Maybe that's where this momentum and this excitement around headless is coming from. Is that right? Exactly. And with Netlify, which is a, a hosting option for hosting your storefront, a couple months ago, time is a blur, I spoke at their Headless Commerce Summit. I can share the link with you to the YouTube video so you can add it to the show notes. I'm really, instead of my, you know, two minute description of Headless, it's I think like 15 or 20 minutes of everything you need to know about going Headless on Shopify. So Definitely a good resource to watch in case you are interested. There are definitely some technical aspects to it because it is sort of meant for developers, but merchants, you'll definitely get some good information out of it. I try to explain like I'm five as much as possible. So the listeners get a resource bundle today that they weren't that's aware right. of and even I wasn't aware of. So um, <laughs> that's awesome. So how does this compare to something like a Shogun? And I only say that because that's the only brand that I know off the top of my head that's like page builder specifically for the Shopify ecosystem. And I know there are maybe one or two other alternatives out there, maybe more than that. What's the difference between like a Shogun and a true headless like setup as in terms of your marketing site or at least the the front end experience of the store? So it's funny you bring up Shogun because they're actually a very unique example because they do both. So the standard page builder that Shogun offers in the Shopify app store is you still using your Shopify theme. And so it's just overwriting what you usually see on a page and showing their page that you've created with their drag and drop builder instead. Now I say it, they're unique because they actually have a feature or a, a whole subset product called Shogun front end, which is combining those two experiences, So you get the same page builder drag and drop experience on a headless website. It's built a little bit differently. It's using a much more modern tech stack for development. So makes my developer heart very happy. I think it's also probably worth noting before we get too deep into how great headless is, it's not cheap. You're paying for this performance and it can be, you know, $4,000 a month on top of your Shopify plan. So Keep that in mind before jumping into going too deep into the headless side of things. But does that kind of answer your question about Shogun? So Shogun is like yeah. a page builder that exists on the Shopify theme, as opposed to a headless site, which is completely off of Shopify. So you can still use page builders as long as they can integrate into the headless storefront that lives off of Shopify. That makes sense. So it's less it's less about the blank page, the proverbial blank page, where it's like, let's write this from scratch. And it's more like, let's work within your existing theme in the Shopify ecosystem, but still give you that headless experience in terms of like actually implementing the changes you're trying to implement, right? Shogun's kind of like a headless-ish CMS, content management system. But yeah, like if you're doing, if you're going full headless, you are starting with that blank page. You're just using some kind of content management system to pull that information in for allowing the merchant to update their website. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so now that we've nerded out on headless, <laughs> give you an opportunity to nerd out on something else. We're all kind of stuck at home to varying degrees, depending on where you live and in my experience, that results in a lot of impulse purchasing, maybe especially this time of year as we were sitting here in November. What's the 
most interesting or most rewarding like experience that you've had while you're stuck here at home? What did you like about it? Or, or maybe what would you have improved about it? I have found myself succumbing to Facebook ads more than I've ever have before. These joggers that I'm wearing right now, I can't pronounce the brand. It's like Viori, V-U-O-R-I. I have literally no idea how to pronounce it. That's a whole nother conversation for another day about making your brand pronounceable. <laughs> but they sucked me in with their constant Facebook ads, delivery of different Facebook ads, but really speaking to me and my interests and people who are, you know, not actually like working out in them, but just kind of hanging out and working at home. Like this is, this is my kind of brand. So really liked that experience. And I reached out to their support as well, just like through their chat, because they offer these joggers in two different lengths, like a, a shorter length and a longer length. I love these longer ones, but most of the colors are available in the shorter ones. And so I was like, when can I expect these other colors to be available and long? And they responded immediately. And you can really tell it was an actual person that I was talking to, as opposed to like a bot answering my questions. So really love that personal touch as well. And they also respond to the Facebook comments on their ads, which is cool to see. It's just that that is a really great example of building a community. So another fun impulse buy that I made is a company called Pinatagrams. It is a pinata that is like oh, eight inches by 12 inches. It's not huge, has candy in it, but you can leave a message and it like it's wrapped in this box. Then you could just send it like write it whatever you want on it. So I sent one to my co-host for her birthday. And I sent one to my friend just because I got an email that said they now have vampire pinatograms. And I'm like, well, it's like a vampire llama. I'm like, okay, well, I'm obviously going to get that. So I sent her one and then I just got one for my birthday as well. So <laughs> they're pretty great. I like that. That's an interesting dichotomy. It's like one excels in persistence through the ads and customer support and personal touch. And one excels just because it's so out there that like exactly. the, the right customers find it, right? Like the people who need the pinatagram know they need the pinatagram. They don't need to be sold. It's like, I got to have that. I know somebody in my life that loves that. Once you see it, you're like, I got to have this. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thanks for sharing those. I, I'm always interested to hear what people are buying. I, I have a, a little kit here from a company called Teach Hanley. Shout out to them. My wife, I'm, I'm 32 now. And my wife was like, you got to start taking care of your skin. Like you're, you're not a spring chicken anymore. And I was like, all right, all right, I'll do it. So I went out, they had like a quiz and everything to help me find the right products because I don't know the first thing about taking care of my skin. So that, that's the one that I would call out is Teach Hanley because it was just for a dude who isn't necessarily emotionally invested in taking care of his skin, but knows it's important. Like I just want somebody to hold my hand and tell me what to buy and how to use it and then send it to my house and then we'll take care of it from there. So so, so that's my experience. Awesome, Kelly. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed all the insights. I mean, you dropped a bunch of knowledge bombs on us. And like I said, we're going to have a whole bundle of resources in the show notes, I'm sure, based on this conversation. So before I let you go, can I give you a few minutes to talk to the audience and share or plug whatever uh, you'd like to plug, whether it's Commerce Tea, the Taproom Agency, anything else you got going on? Yeah, so you can find the tap room at thetaproom.com. I paid $2,000 for the domain and I love it. Actually, I so total side note, I, I ended up naming the company the tap room because the domain was available and I liked it and I had been drinking and it all worked together. <laughs> you can also find me on Twitter at KVLLY, super active on there. I, I'm active on LinkedIn, always dropping additional, you know, mini knowledge bombs about e-commerce and, and all the things that you should do for your site, especially for preparing for Black Fighters every Monday, the holiday shopping season. You can find Commerce Tea at commercetea.com. You can find our, we do weekly friendly Shopify store teardowns is what we call them on YouTube. And that's youtube.com slash commerce tea. I think that really covers it. 
Awesome. Well, thanks again so much for sharing your insights today. We'll call them knowledge grenades. They're like little tiny knowledge grenades that you share on LinkedIn. And then it's not quite a bomb, right? But it's just a little nugget. Awesome. Knowledge (laughs) nuggets. That's what I'm going to call them. Yeah, I like the alliteration. It always works well in marketing. Same. Go for it. (laughs) Awesome, Kelly. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We'll have to have you back on in a few months to see where you guys are at with the agency and where Headless Commerce is gone and all the other stuff we talked about. I'm sure you'll have some more insights to share. So thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thanks again for having me. Hey, everybody, this is James again. And before you go, I just wanted to invite you to join one of the coolest things I get to work on as director of marketing here at The Good. It's called the e-commerce insiders list, and it's a private version of this podcast feed that gets you access to tons of additional bonus content like extra interviews, Q&A sessions, website teardowns, and anything else we can dream up. It doesn't cost you anything but your email address, and we promise to always respect your inbox. This is just our way of forming stronger relationships with our listeners and making sure that we produce content that is actually valuable to you and to your business. If you're interested, you can join the rest of the e-commerce insiders by going to thegood.com slash podcast and dropping your email into the form at the top of the page. We'll follow up with directions for how to access the private feed and you'll be off and running. Like I said, this is one of my favorite things that I get the opportunity to work on because it lets me interact directly with e-commerce founders and leaders just like you. If you're interested, I'd love to see your name pop up in my notifications. Until then, keep an eye out for the next episode of the e-commerce insight show and we'll talk to you soon.